Hello and welcome to this Endo Life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an Endo Warrior and Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them I don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, and you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a flare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when I when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called the Daily, and it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down and it also ensures that you have healthy balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balancing plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is 
built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resisting all of the strategies you're trying, that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body. So we need to work on that, work on your gut. And mine has improved mine has improved massively, but I still react much more um erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations. And I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and period support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. So before we get started today, I wanted to let you know that I'm currently off on annual leave. So one of my goals this year was to take more time off or to take time off full stop because my habit has been to work right until Christmas every year. So this year is all about pacing. And so I'm not recording new episodes. The episode you're hearing today is a replay of a past episode. And as it's IBS Awareness Month, and because so many of us with endo have IBS, I wanted to share with you my most foundational, actionable, and informative episodes on the endo belly, IBS, and SIBO. So every week, you'll get two episodes on this theme to help raise awareness and to provide you with some actions. Now, because these episodes are old, I may not refer to some of the resources I provide on the Underbelly. So I wanted to remind you of the services that I do provide and the resources I do provide so that you know where to go if you want to get kind of more information after you've listened to an episode. So to start with, I have plenty of other episodes on the Underbelly. I have a course that's actually called the Endobelly course, which is specifically for anyone with endo who really struggles with IBS, endobelly or SIBO. That's not out right now. It will be later on this year. I also work with one-to-one clients, especially those with endobelly or SIBO. And I have lots and lots of free articles on endometriosis news and endometriosis net about these topics. And of course, I also have my Instagram account, which is chock full of SIBO and endobelly info for those of you, you know, who want to kind of learn like little bits here and there. I've got lots of Instagram lives on there. I've got videos, I've got reels, I've got posts. So there's so much information there. And lastly, if you feel like you need a little bit of extra support, I'm currently running a free endobelly challenge. So you get an email every Monday with some endo belly information and an action tip, action step to help you manage your endo belly symptoms. 
The challenge ends on April 18th, but if you sign up before May the 2nd, you'll still be able to access all of the challenge and catch up with all of the emails. And for anyone who takes part, you'll also be invited to a private free Q&A call with me at the start of May, where you'll get to ask me all of your endo belly questions and any questions that came up for you as you did the challenge. Okay, so I hope those resources are helpful and I hope that this episode is helpful. So without further ado, let's get to it. This is, I was just about to say this is the craziest week of my like of my life or that I've ever lived through, but then no, I don't think that's quite true. I think probably my car accident was the craziest. Um, but this is this is surreal. I hope you guys are staying safe and well and and calm if if you can. Yeah, we know that stress actually worsens our pain levels. So, um, you know, send your brain safety and comfort signals. I don't know what that is to you, whether it's Disney movies, whether it's baking cakes, try to make them sugar free. Um, But what, you know, whatever it is for you, try to send yourself some safety signals so that your brain calms down and you, you don't get a flare up during all of this. I am not doing an episode on the coronavirus. I know a lot of people are. Um, But today I am continuing with the endo belly series. This is part two. And I've got loads of notes of me and um, I'm in like quite a small restricted space. So I think you're probably going to hear paper rustling as I move. So um, bear with me with that. But I need to have notes for this Um for these more kind of in-depth topics. So if you haven't listened to part one of this, um, I think that was episode, let me just have a check for you guys, episode number 79. If you haven't listened to that one, I would go back and start there because I talk about some of the theories behind the endo belly. And I also talk about the real foundations of um, really gut health. And that's not even necessarily to do with the gut directly. It's more about how you're eating, where you're eating, when you're eating, how you're feeling when you're eating. So without us putting those things in place, um, we can't, we can be taking all the probiotics in the world, but our digestion is not going to be good. So go back and listen to episode 79, part one, um, if you haven't listened to that. Today, Um, is a bit of a basic science lesson on digestion. And the key topics that I'm going to be talking about is um, the mouth, so the digestion and beginning in the mouth, stomach acid, and digestive enzymes, which you find in small intestine. And the reason why we're starting there is because when I work with clients, there are some key questions I ask and key things I look at to understand why they're experiencing the endo belly and the inflammation and the pain and the fatigue, etc. And I really start with the digestion. Um, it's one, you know, 70 to 80% of the immune system is in and around the gut. Um, a large amount of our inflammation is caused and produced around the gut. And so a lot of the changes that we make will begin there. If if they're happy to do it, it's always up to them what we do first and what we do in general. Um, some of this is going to overlap a little with what I did last week, but 
we're diving in now more into like the mechanics of digestion where last week it was sort of how your environment affected the mechanics of your digestion. A couple of you, well, not a couple of you, a lot of you have, you know, contacted me from time to time talking about feeling overwhelmed by where to start. And when it comes to managing endometriosis, what I have instinctively done with my own health in the past, and now what I have been trained to do is really starting with lowering inflammation and supporting the gut. And you can kind of do those side by side, or you could do them one by one. Um, But the gut really is one of the key places that we want to begin. And I hope that this series gives you some of the tools in order to do that. So, you know, you go back to episode 79 and you begin there and then you work your way through to episode, uh, what's today, 82 and so on. Okay, so let's begin and let's start with the mouth. So when we see food, smell food, uh, maybe when we're preparing food, this begins the process of preparing for digestion. So we see it, we smell it, and our senses basically send signals to our brain and our brain sends signals to our digestive system to say, it's time to get ready to eat. Um, So digestive enzymes and juices are released with the saliva to begin breaking down the food. And this is why it's so important to chew, guys, because your stomach has no teeth, as my tutor Jessica Drummond loves to say if we are like gulping down like a piece of burger that burger is going to be sitting in our stomach um and by not chewing enough you're making it harder for your gut to break down and use your food for nutrients and that's going to result in things like IBS issues because the stomach's not designed to handle unchewed food that is just not what it's designed for. That's the mouth's job. That's why there are teeth. So it's going to be creating IBS issues and malabsorption. So, you know, we're not going to be absorbing the food properly, which could result in nutrient deficiencies. Also, I mentioned last week, if you're rushing your food, it's going to slow down or even pause your digestion because it's not the optimum environment um, or what's the word I'm looking for here? Like, you're not in a state of being that's optimum for digestion. You're, when we're rushing, we generally tend to feel stressed, even if we're not rushing for something that's stressful, right? Even if we just tend to eat quick, like that action to our body is perceived as stress. So that will slow down or pause the digestion. Um, And if you want to understand a bit more about that and why, definitely go back to episode 79. And rushing, gulping and not chewing can also mean that you're swallowing air, which will create gas, bloating, and that will obviously create digestive disruption. Because if you think about, you've got these pockets of air in between food particles, things are just not going to flow properly. You're going to affect the gut motility Um, it's just not going to be pleasant. Research-wise, it's been found that we should be chewing hard food up to 40 times per bite. So in this experiment, it was with almonds. That's kind of what we're basing hard food on, which it does seem like a lot, but here's why. 
Research showed that smaller particles, so food that had been chewed well, were absorbed into the system at a faster pace when chewed 40 times. And when chewed less, the body eliminated larger particles. So the body couldn't do its job. It couldn't absorb the nutrients. Those particles just stayed, those kind of chunks of almond stayed as chunks of almond and they exited the body. So we're missing out when we're not chewing our food properly. We genuinely, genuinely, can't speak, are missing out on nutrients. So it goes back to, you know, the stomach doesn't have any teeth. It really isn't going to be able to break down that food if we don't chew it. So 40 bites, uh, 40 chews per bite. Um, Yes, it does seem like a lot. My general rule is to chew food until it's a liquid or it's like kind of mush or, and I was trying to think about a better way to say it other than mush. I wasn't going to grace you out, but I failed. Um, or until it's so broken down that you instinctively swallow. Um, remember something like a cauliflower mash won't need as much chewing as Brazil nuts, for example. And in fact, actually tip here if you're struggling with your digestion you've got very sensitive digestion maybe you're post-surgery and everything's feeling a bit delicate go for foods that have been partially broken down like sweet potato mash like cauliflower mash like soup um like smoothies go for something that's going to be more gentle on your stomach because you're then you're going to be able to absorb the nutrients more easily okay so that's the mouth The digestion begins in the mouth with the digestive juices and the enzymes in the mouth and you're chewing the food so that you can properly begin to absorb the nutrients later on. Okay, so let's move on to stomach acid. So obviously the stomach acid is in your stomach and that's where your food is going to arrive once you've swallowed. Your stomach acid is so essential, guys. It breaks down your food so that digestive enzymes can begin doing their work and absorbing nutrients later on. Having enough stomach acid is really important for breaking down protein and beginning the process of of absorbing B12. It's important for all foods that we are, um, you know, taking into our bodies, but stomach acid plays quite a particular role with breaking down proteins and um, helping us to absorb B12. Now, without proteins, we won't have enough amino acids. So that's what proteins get broken down into. And they're the building blocks to repair. So they're really obviously very helpful when we're recovering from surgery um, or we're just, you know, we're battling endometriosis and we want our body to be strong and healthy. Um, And they also keep our neurotransmitters healthy. We need amino acids to create robust neurotransmitters. And neurotransmitters are things like endorphins and serotonin and dopamine. And they are our body's natural pain relievers and also help us to feel better mood-wise. They have lots of roles. But in the context of this episode and really what's like very relevant for you know people like us, um, we want to ensure that we've got enough neurotransmitters to help us manage pain because the less we have, the more we're going to feel pain. 
Um, and we also tend to suffer from things like anxiety and depression. So having healthy levels of neurotransmitters can help us to have better, healthier moods. And then B12, low B12 or B12 deficiency, I think you guys have probably heard me talk about this quite a few times before, is also very serious. Um, it causes depression, fatigue, brain fog, co cognitive decline, dizziness. Um, and if it's left, it can cause permanent problems. Um, and in fact, when I first went vegan, I didn't know anything about B12. This is, gosh, I don't know how many years ago now, six, seven years. And um, I, my brain fog was so bad. Um, I started getting completely numb, hands and legs. So that's a um, symptom of B12 deficiency, um, severe fatigue, dizziness. And then I did some research and discovered about B12 and B12 deficiency and started taking B12 and the change was almost instant. It was crazy. Um, and yes, it can actually cause permanent damage um, to your brain cells. So people can be left with these kind of um, symptoms like numbness in their hands and feet, depression, uh, brain fog. So we have to take that really seriously. Low stomach acid can also cause GI distress, so IBS issues because the food's not getting broken down properly. Can also cause nutrient deficiencies, again, because it's harder for us to get the nutrients from the food. And even food reactions, because we're having these larger particles enter into our small intestine and large intestine and it's aggravating our GI tract and we're just causing issues like leaky gut, we're causing a host of IBS issues so we end up getting these food reactions. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. So why would you have low stomach acid? So most relevant for you and I is that chronic stress, as I explained in our um, in part one of this, chronic stress actually turns on the brakes on our digestive system. So the acid is not getting produced. So that's one thing. Obviously, living with endometriosis is pretty stressful at times. So if you're experiencing chronic stress, it's likely that your stomach acid is low. Fatigue and chronic pain can also create or deplete your stomach acid. And the reason being is because it takes a lot of energy for our body to make our stomach acid. And so when we're fatigued or when we're in pain, our body is just too focused on keeping us going at the bare minimum to be able to make enough stomach acid. So we tend to, to lose it then. The other reason is... SIBO. SIBO is a cause of low stomach acid. It's also, funnily enough, a cause of SIBO. So you can have low stomach acid and then um, 
it can help to create the perfect scenario for SIBO, but SIBO can also cause low stomach acid. So if you have low stomach acid, you have bloating, um, then potentially SIBO is an issue for you. And I will have a, I'll link in, in the show notes to my two Instagram posts where I list the symptoms of SIBO. So you guys can have a look at that. Medication. So medication for acid reflux, um, you know, GERD can reduce our stomach acid because obviously that's the point. Um, too much water with our food can actually dilute the stomach acid. So you want to be sipping on water really during what whilst you're eating, not gulping water down. Um, it might even be genetic. So that's something to consider, but I would really go through the others before you went down that route, rule out the others. Um, and there are a couple other reasons that low stomach acid can occur. But I, you know, I would say those, those ones are the most common for people with endometriosis. So in terms of chronic stress, chronic fatigue, chronic pain and SIBO, and then medication, too much water is just quite common. Um, it's just a lot of people are put on um, medication for GERD and acid reflux. And a lot of people will not drink during the day and then have a meal and be like, oh, I haven't drunk any water and gulp it down. So genetics, I'm not actually sure if there is a stat around the amount of people who struggle to make stomach acid. But um, it'd be interesting to find out. So how do you know if you have low stomach acid? So here are some of the telltale signs. Number one, bloating or burping immediately or even during a meal. Number two is you might feel very full after eating, almost like your food is sitting in your stomach, like at the top of your stomach. It's not moving down. It's just kind of there under your diaphragm um, and it feels like it's not digesting. Number three is have a look at your nails. If they're weak, cracked, bendy, peeling, peely, peeling, um, or they've got like ridges, it could indicate iron or protein deficiency. So that might indicate that you're not breaking down your protein enough because you have low stomach acid. So have a look at your nails and see what they're doing. Cut. If you're fatigued, brain fogged, depressed, get your B12 levels tested by your GP. Um, as if you are B12 deficient, that could also indicate that you've got low stomach acid, especially if you're presenting with some of the other signs as well. The fifth sign is undigested food in your stores. So if you're having undigested food when you go to the toilet, um, you're either not chewing enough you have low stomach acid or both, basically. There obviously might be something else going on, so you can check with your doctor, but this is also a sign of low stomach acid. So if you think you might have low stomach acid, you can do a test for this. Um, it's not actually like a test you go and get done in a lab or at the doctor's. It's a test you can do at home. Um, and I don't know if this is what it's called in general, but this is what we call it at the Integrated Women's Health Institute. Um, it's the Betaine HCL Challenge. And you're basically taking acid, um, not that kind of acid. Um, sorry. Um, you take 600 milligrams to 750 milligrams, 15 minutes before your heaviest protein meal. 
and see if your digestion feels better. Uh, you do that for a week, see how you get on, and then up your dosage to two if you feel like there's no difference or you feel better. And then you'll do that for a week and then you can up your dosage again. And then once you feel maybe some slight discomfort, then you would back down and go back down to the lower dose that you were on. And then you found kind of a good range for you. If you notice burning symptoms or indigestion straight away, stop. It, you know, you've got adequate acid or it's just not working well for you. Don't use this method with a history of ulcers um, or inflammatory bowel disease. And I would always do this with a practitioner, a coach, a doctor, um, a nutritionist, a dietitian. Or you can use Jessica Drummond's book because she actually has the instructions in there. And um, they're exactly the same as the instructions that I use when I work with my clients um, because obviously I was trained by her. So her book, Outsmart Endometriosis, has the instructions of how to do that. So I'll put a link in the bio to, not the link in the bio, link in the show notes to her book for you guys to use if you'd like. You can also use, if that's if it turns out that that's too strong for you, you could stimulate your own production of stomach acid because Betaine HCL is basically replacing your stomach acid. And that works well if you're really depleted. So if you're, you know, so fatigued, so stressed that your body can't even fathom making its own stomach acid, then betaine HCL is a good option. If you do have the energy, then you can stimulate the production. So you can do that with apple cider vinegar, raw apple cider vinegar. You can put one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar in eight tablespoons of water and drink that before each meal. You can try digestive bitters. Um, you can you can get them in health food shops quite easily. Um, I haven't been trained in this, but I worked with a nutritionist a couple of years ago who uh, told me to eat rocket before every meal um because again it, it's bitter so it works in the same way and then of course stress management so if you can start adding in some of those mindfulness practices that i talked about in episode 79 or you can just at least start to try and reduce your stress in general then you could be helping your body to get the energy back to create stomach acid so those are a couple of things that you can do to start um, supporting your body to make more stomach acid or replace it with betaine HDL. But as I said, I would always do that under the care of a practitioner. Okay, and now we're moving on to something that I weirdly find really fascinating. Um, so digestive enzymes, and they are, they're found in the mouth. They are also found in smaller quantities in the stomach. Um, but they're mainly found in the small intestine. So the small intestine is where most of our nutrient absorption happens. Digestive enzymes are what we need to absorb nutrients. They break down foods into absorbable nutrients. So for example, uh, carbohydrates to sugar. And some of them are made by the pancreas. Others are present in the small intestine and stomach already. They're already lying in the small intestine, um, but often they're released by the pancreas during digestion. And what's really important for us to keep in mind here is that the small intestine, as I mentioned, is where most of our nutrient absorption happens. And 
we need the digestive enzymes for that to occur. And that's why something like SIBO is so damaging because that small intestine, intestinal bacterial overgrowth um, and that bacteria can really do some damage to our digestive enzymes. Their enzymes actually eat our enzymes. So um, it's fascinating. I'll do a whole episode on SIBO. So in terms of digestive enzymes and low digestive enzymes, what causes it? Um, again, stress. Stress is going to do exactly the same thing as um, it does with low stomach acid. It's going to be switching off the digestion. And so we're not making enough digestive enzymes. Again, fatigue and pain is going to do the same thing. So we're just not going to have the energy to make enough digestive enzymes um, or because maybe we're in pain, that's stressing us out. So the digest the digestion gets turned off. Another cause is SIBO. So as I mentioned a minute ago, SIBO really damages, it's, it does so much damage, but it damages the gut lining and the bacteria also damage our digestive enzymes by basically their digestive enzymes, the bacteria excrete their own digestive enzymes to break down our digestive enzymes because our digestive enzymes are made out of protein and carbohydrates and they kind of cleave them apart, they break them apart to eat the carbohydrates because SIBO loves carbohydrates. And another reason why this is such a problem for us is that when we don't have the digestive enzymes to break down our food, we're leaving lots of undigested food in our small intestine and it's a playground for the bacteria because it can eat that food. And so we have lots of fermentation, which creates the bloating. Leaky gut can also cause low digestive enzymes. An irritated gut, uh, food sensitivities can cause low digestive enzymes, especially if you're suffering a lot with um, diarrhea. In some cases, that's kind of so aggressive the food is moving through so fast that you're kind of stripping your small intestine of digestive enzymes um and certain infections and diseases can also cause low digestive enzymes low digestive enzymes can cause bloating diarrhea ibs issues constipation nutrient deficiencies inflammation fat in your stools and histamine intolerance. So that's something that I've been struggling with because I've got low digestive enzymes. I don't have the enzymes to break down histamine. So um, the histamines are building up in my body and then I'm not being able to break them down properly. So that has been partially, not completely, um, one of the causes to my bladder pain. So if you think you might have low digestive enzymes or you're just wondering if you do, you can test for this by adding digestive enzymes. Um, and you can do that quite easily. There's lots of good supplements on the market. I would go for Designs for Health. Seeking Health probably have their own digestive enzymes. Um, Wild Nutrition have their own digestive enzymes. I would say those are the kind of three off the top of my head that I trust the most. Um, but have a look for good quality digestive enzymes. You can add them in as directed on um, the label and see if you notice any improvements. If you'd rather not 
try supplements because you just don't want to go down that route or um, budget wise. Spices have actually been proven, well, herbs and spices have actually been proven to stimulate the production of digestive enzymes. But again, we sort of want to consider how depleted are you? If you're really, really fatigued, you're in a lot of pain, it might be better for you to take a digestive enzyme because the chances are your body might be struggling. The chances are that your body could be struggling to make its own digestive enzymes and it just won't have the energy to make them even if you are trying to stimulate it with herbs and spices. So some of the herbs and spices that have been proven uh, include fennel, turmeric, ginger. That's really weird. I never say turmeric. I say turmeric. I've been hanging out with a lot of Americans. I think that's the thing. Um, ginger, onion, garlic, caraway, black pepper, fenugreek. And you could also add foods. Um, I don't know if there are studies behind these foods, but um, these foods don't stimulate. They actually contain the digestive enzymes. So some of the foods are raw honey, sauerkraut, kefir, pineapple, papaya, avocado, kiwis. Um, so you could try adding some of those into your diet and seeing if you notice an improvement there. So maybe you would drizzle like some raw honey on your breakfast. Again, be careful with at what point you're adding in honey. Like if I was to add in honey before my period, it would be game over. I'd be in pain. Um, so it, it would be the same if I added in pineapple or papaya. They're just the fruit sugars are just too high for me. So just be mindful of what your body responds to and when you can eat certain foods in your cycle. Um, but you could add some yogurt, you know, you could add some kefir, um, you could add some sauerkraut to dishes and just see if that helps your digestion at all. And like I mentioned with stomach acid, stress management. So trying to add in a deep breath before you eat, um, making sure that the table looks nice, making sure you're not eating on the go, just doing what you can to calm down your body before you eat and that will optimize your digestion. So those are the three key foundations I look at when someone is presenting with endo belly um, inflammation, pain, because it all roots down to the same thing. But at the at this time in this episode, we're focusing on the endo belly. And there are three other questions that you should ask yourself and that I ask my clients um, kind of at this phase. So when you're going through this, um, you're, you're thinking about your what you're eating. Sorry, you're thinking about how you're eating. You're thinking about whether you're chewing. You're thinking about what's going on with your stomach acid, your digestive enzymes. Ask yourself, are you eating common inflammatories? Are you eating gluten? Are you eating sugar? Are you eating soy? Are you eating eggs? Um, are you eating dairy? Um, are you eating caffeine? All of those have been shown to be co common um, irritants and allergens um, and intolerances for a lot of people. And some of them, like sugar, dairy and gluten, are known to cause inflammation in the gut. And sugar, for sure, affects our gut microbiome. Um, so if you're eating some of those, you might want to consider trying a month without or trying a month 
cutting down on some or trying a month without one. So maybe you're like, "Mm, I really don't want to give up soy or eggs or sugar, but you know, I'll, I'll cut down on the gluten for now. I have learned that people struggle with the most is gluten and dairy in terms of their gut health um, and sugar. So starting with one or all of them and getting support to do it um, or just doing it in a way that feels sustainable and safe for you, that's not triggering for you mentally. So maybe you're like, I'm just going to minimize the amount of gluten I have rather than cutting it out um, in a way that works for you basically could be a way to test whether you're reacting and give your body a chance to heal now you might not notice a huge difference if you are just reducing and you're keeping some of these foods in sometimes we need to cut them out fully in order for us to notice a difference and I would say that if you don't feel like you can you know eliminate gluten on your own um, or you find it triggering or you want to get to the bottom of your gut health without making those changes, then I would definitely speak to a professional um, and get some support to do that. The other question I would ask is, are you eating good quality food? Are you eating foods that have a lot of pesticides or are you eating organic? Now, I know that organic is expensive, so it's about doing it as much as you can, but um, Dr. Ruscio, who's a SIBO and gut health specialist, he did a um, seminar in the SIBO course that I'm studying at the moment. And he was saying, I can't remember this stat, but it was really high. It was, it was remarkable. He was saying that he tests his patients for SIBO. And then in the meantime, whilst they're waiting for the tests, he actually gets them on an organic diet. And so many of them have incredible results, an incredible reduction in their symptoms from going organic. And, you know, we know that pesticides are are doing us damage and causing problems, but perhaps there's more going on there with how they affect our gut. The third question I would ask yourself is, are you eating eight to 10 servings of fruit and vegetables a day for adequate fiber? Um, You know, the NHS say five, But the reason why they say five is because they feel that's more of a realistic number. But the studies show that eight to ten servings is what we really should be aiming for. And if you're not having enough fiber, you're not going to be supporting your gut motility. You're not going to be getting things moving down. You're not going to be feeding your gut microbiome. You're just not going to have a healthy gut. So you are going to have you know, more problems with IBS-like issues. Now, if you find that adding fiber worsens your symptoms, then it could be that there are a few things going on there, Um, SIBO being one of them. And I'm going to address that in um, this series. Um, And I'm hoping to get Dr. Alison Seebecker on the show. She's my current tutor on my SIBO course. So hopefully I can get her on. Um, And... Also, I'd love to do an episode on the low FODMAP diet at some point um, around IBS. So if you find that adding extra fibre is making you worse, go to your doctor and speak about that. Um, seek the support of a professional. But generally, you know, health, those of us who aren't having those problems, for to be healthy, we need to be having eight to ten servings of fruit and vegetables a day. So ask yourself, are you eating common inflammatory foods? Are you eating good quality foods? 
Are you eating enough fiber in the form of fruit and vegetables? Are you eating in a stressful environment? Are you chewing enough? Are you making enough stomach acid? And are you making enough digestive enzymes? So let's start there and see if you can make some of those changes um, and see if you notice an improvement. And if it feels overwhelming, um, you feel like you can't do it on your own, then you can always reach out to me. I'm happy to answer any of your questions. Um, so let me know if this was helpful to you. These episodes are a bit more sciencey than they are conversational. So I'm just always curious to hear whether they're helpful. So please let me know what you think. Um, you can always DM me on Instagram or send me an email. And remember, if you do want more support, I'm currently... Um, I currently have opened my next cohort of one-to-one endometriosis health coaching that begins in April. So at the moment for endometriosis awareness month, I'm offering £300 off. So it's a really good time to sign up. And given the current circumstances with the climate, um, what we have going on at the moment, I know some people are struggling financially. So still reach out and we can see what um, what we can do together. Um, also I keep thinking about a course. I really do. I just, it's, I wanted to do one last year. I wanted to do, do one the year before. Um, and it just keeps coming into my head. So let me know if you would be interested in doing a course because I'm, I can't stop thinking about it. So I'd love to hear what you think. Um, anyway, I'm going to stop rambling, stay safe, stay well and I will speak to you next week if you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it um, you can head to my instagram page which is this underscore endolife um, you can head to my website which is www.thisendolife.com and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website um, I've put the link in my show notes It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.